all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hello, Mississippi. Yep, it's time for another live version of Southern Remedy. And it's Southern Remedy, the original Southern Remedy. I'm a little hoarse today, and I know a lot of you are too, because it's flu season like crazy all over the place. We'll talk a little bit about that or whatever you want to talk about today, because it is open mic. Any topic is game. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 or send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Our lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back after this break. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. At least 14,000 people have been evacuated from their homes in San Jose, California, because of severe floods. U.S. 101 was closed in both directions south of San Francisco. Emergency personnel went door-to-door overnight, ordering residents to get to higher ground. Chicago Public Schools directing its principals not to allow federal immigration agents inside district buildings without a criminal warrant. This, as the Trump administration moves forward with sweeping changes in, in its immigration enforcement policies, potentially affecting some 11 million people in the U.S. illegally. Vice President Mike Pence is traveling to the St. Louis area today to talk about jobs. NPR's Tamara Keith reports Pence is visiting a heavy equipment company. Pence will tour and speak at Fabic Cat, a construction equipment company in the town of Fenton. A senior advisor to Missouri's governor tweeted about the visit, saying the two men will discuss job growth and the importance of cutting regulations. In these early days of the Trump administration, the president has put a target on regulations he says are hurting American businesses. Pence is just back from a trip to Europe where he sought to reassure U.S. allies that the Trump administration is committed to NATO. Tamara Keith, NPR News, the White House. In newly unsealed court documents, prosecutors say Dylan Roof drove to a second black church the same night he killed nine worshipers during a Bible study in Charleston. The 22-year-old white supremacist was sentenced to death last month after being found guilty on nearly three dozen charges, including hate crimes. South Carolina Public Radio's Alexandra Olgan has the latest. According to court documents, federal prosecutors had evidence that Dylan Roof drove towards a second African Methodist Episcopal Church the night of June 17, 2015. Around 9 o'clock that night, he shot and killed nine worshipers as they stood together in prayer, eyes closed. GPS evidence shows Roof exited the highway in a town north of Charleston and headed toward the Branch AME Church. According to prosecutors, that church had a sign announcing a Wednesday night Bible study. Prosecutors say Roof shut off his GPS, something they say indicates he stopped the car. 
Ruth has also been charged with murder in state court. That trial has been postponed indefinitely. For NPR News, I'm Alexandra Olgan in Charleston, South Carolina. Amnesty International is putting President Donald Trump on its list of strongman politicians it believes are contributing to fear-mongering and human rights violations worldwide. Amnesty has released a more than 400-page annual report in it. The Human Rights Group describes 2016 as the year when, quote, the cynical use of us-versus-them narratives of blame, hate, and fear took on a global prominence to a level not seen since the 1930s, end quote. U.S. stocks are mixed this hour with the Dow up four points at 20,747. This is NPR News. A man who spent more than 30 years in prison for a crime he did not commit stands to receive more than $1.5 million from the Commonwealth of Virginia. The Richmond Times-Dispatch reports that the only thing standing between Keith Allen Harward and his compensation is Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe. McAuliffe reportedly has yet to sign off on legislation that cleared the legislature without a single no vote. He has until March 27th to sign that bill. Now 60 years old, Harward was released from prison last spring. He was exonerated through DNA evidence of 1982 rape and murder in Newport News. The space capsule that carried the first moonwalkers is about to make another trip. NPR's Nell Greenfield Boyce reports the Apollo 11 spacecraft is being sent on a tour of museums across this country. The Apollo 11 spacecraft has been in the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum ever since it opened in 1976. This is the spacecraft that brought the three astronauts home from the first landing on the moon, so it's one of the Smithsonian's most important artifacts. Michael Neufeld is a senior curator. He says the Smithsonian is planning a new exhibit about lunar exploration, but that won't open until 2021. In the meantime, the Apollo 11 capsule will go to museums in four different cities. Houston, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and Seattle. The traveling exhibit will include other artifacts like a box used to collect moon rocks and the helmet and gloves that Buzz Aldrin wore during his moonwalk. Nell Greenfield-Boyce, NPR News. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Blue Vine, offering businesses revolving lines of credit to cover expenses, make payroll, purchase supplies, and to expand. Credit lines up to $100,000. Learn more at BlueVine.com. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hello and welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. In Jackson, and I'm alone and lonely, waiting for your phone call at Southern Remedy, the original one, live now for you at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. <clears throat> you can tell from my voice that I have uh, been uh, subject to the flu, despite the flu shot and every other precaution one can take, and it's been about two weeks, and I'm still 
recovering. So if you want to talk a little bit about flu treatment, I'll be happy to uh, visit with you on that. I've tried most of them. And uh, and unfortunately, most people are getting over this rather quickly. But people who have pre-existing pulmonary problems, lung problems, are having a little bit more of a struggle. And it's also allergy season, my goodness. Everything is pollinating ahead of schedule right now. So we're already having folks coming in with uh, hay fever symptoms. And here's the good news about that. Uh, The medicines that used to be prescription are now over the counter. And you can save yourself a lot of suffering if you get on these medicines early rather than late. So if you want to talk about that, let's talk about that one, too. By the way, here's an interesting factoid. A big study just came out showing that children who are thumb suckers and nail biters have less allergies than those who aren't. It's all part of this so-called hygiene hypothesis that we've been making our environment so sterile for our children that it turns on their immune system against environmental allergens and causes an increased prevalence of allergies. So uh, I guess it's time to stop criticizing your kids for thumbs sucking and nail biting, uh, at least if they have an allergic family background. So we'll talk about those topics or your topics or whatever's on your mind. Just give us a call at one eight seven seven. 672-7464-1877 MPB ring. Let's get started and go to Memphis and Kay. Hey, hey, Kay. Kay, you're on the air. Oh, already? Yeah, we were waiting on you. Oh, listen, I'd, give me a warning before you cut me off because I may talk too much. I have two things in mind. One is I want to give you the information that I finally got on my recent hospitalization. Uh-huh. I requested a report, and I, they sent me 61 pages. <laughs> wow. And 20 of them were, were grass from the EKGs and so forth. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I got I got the real dope here. Uh, we were talking about my uh, the uh, troponin, mm-hmm. and um, it was listed two times. One time it was 0.11, and the other time it was 0.16. And my doctor thought that nothing was of significance. He took me off of the that medicine that was giving me fits, the beta blocker, just let me go back on my regular routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I really wanted to tell you about was my cholesterol. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you remember, way back in the dark ages, I had called you and my cholesterol had gone up to 262, and they said double my, my simbostatin, and you said... Won't ever get it down with some of that, and so I got me another doctor temporarily, who put me on the the uh, tor- torvastatin. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. A torvastatin, right? Yeah, I got it right. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm an old retired medical social worker. I should know how to pronounce it, and I'm trying to make myself do it the right way. So anyway, um, so what what is your okay, what is your okay. what's your cholesterol now? Is that all fixed? Okay, that's what I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. I have it right here in front of me. My total cholesterol was 148. Mm-hmm. My LDL was 76. Wow. My L, my HDL was 66. Fantastic. And we are trying lowering me to uh, 20 milligrams. See, I've been on 40 for quite a while without my blood being checked. Mm-hmm. And so we'll go try doing the. Okay, things. well, let me let me talk a little bit about that. Okay. And uh, wait, 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 wait. One other thing before you before I may get cut off. Okay. Um, 
he, the doctor who, who saw me when I first went into the emergency room at, at St. Francis said, I don't think you have a fib. Now, what I want to ask you, I do have a fib sometimes, and it's when I overwork, overdo, have not eaten properly. Right. I feel weak, and I check, and I have just an occasional fibrillation. Gotcha. Now, is this a forerunner of having it worse? Okay. Well, I might have to have an ablation or, or what, what, what's the... Okay. I got both of those uh, both those points and thank you for your call Miss Kay. <clears throat> so um there has been a revolution in thinking about uh cholesterol um over the last year and a half and the American College of Cardiology has just come out <clears throat> with a brand new uh uh software program to help decide who uh should be on cholesterol uh, lowering uh, medications. And uh, the bottom line is just about everybody by this particular thing uh, because uh, LDL cholesterol is the major problem uh, with coronary artery disease in our country. Uh, it isn't your total cholesterol that is the one we're most interested in. It's your good cholesterol, your HDL. In your case, you have a lot of it, and that's wonderful and your bad cholesterol, the LDL. <clears throat> and depending on what your age, sex, family history is, uh, this new algorithm that has come out uh, recommends uh, statin therapy sooner rather than later. And it depends on uh, what your risk is, is whether you're put on a, um, a high-intensity statin, drugs like atorvastatin, uh, Lipitor or Crestor or some of the um, uh, weaker ones like Pravastatin, which uh, cause fewer side effects. But I think you're going to see more and more people put on statins just because the evidence is overwhelming now that statins uh, have a major, major protective effect against all kinds of cardiovascular problems and a survival benefit overall that we don't totally understand. Uh, in your particular case, uh, we, we don't usually try to get the cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, LDL, much below 70 unless you have had existing coronary artery disease. However, I think in the near future, uh, you're going to see most people... Uh, most physicians trying to get at that level regardless. Babies have almost all no LDL, and we accumulate that stuff, and it plugs up our vessels. So I'm going to talk about the atrial fibrillation question that you brought up in just a minute, but I've got some other callers on the line. I want to go ahead and pick them up before they get anxious, and we'll come, come back and talk about... Come back and talk about that later, Miss Kay. Thank you for your call. Let's go to Christy on the road. Hey, Christy. Hey, um, good morning. Good morning. I have a 10-year-old son, strapping young man, um, who was uh, genetically blessed with really good, thick muscle structure. He's, you know, the biggest kid in his class, but he's, it's all muscle. He's not a fat one. Um and he complains of, and I can see it, um, uh, muscle aches a lot. And he's, he's active. He stretches. He does um, different sports. He is up and down, you know, you know small hills running. He's, uh, he stays stretched. 
but I'm wondering what um, what kind of doctor should I call? We're in between pediatricians right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I So he's complaining of muscle pain? Is that what he's complaining pain of? Pain and stiffness, <clears throat> extreme stiffness mm-hmm. um, and pain, especially in the legs. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, <clears throat> the... Um, there are some muscle problems that can occur in children that are associated with the symptoms uh, that you're giving. They are very unusual, but they, uh, they do occur. And um, most of the time, kids uh, who have problems with muscle uh, complaints uh, or notice those after they do a new exercise or uh, an old exercise in an ex- extraordinary amount of time. Uh, if he is complaining of constantly of muscle aches and pains, then it's probably worth, and the pediatrician is the one that can handle this, uh, letting your pediatrician check this out. And there's some very simple things that can be done Number one, a complete physical examination goes without saying. Number two, uh, taking a family history to see if there's any family history of muscle problems. And number three, getting some muscle enzymes uh, after he has exercised. There are certain people who are born with abnormalities of enzymes, of metabolism, uh, of muscle uh, that energy uh, energy pathway that provides uh, muscle movement, and uh, those folks when they exercise get pain, and they also release these enzymes into their blood. One of them is CPK, CPK creatinine phosphokinase. So I would take your uh, son to a pediatrician, tell him about the problem, and let him check this out. It probably uh, is is going to end up being not a problem, but because it is so persistent, it would be worth uh, having that checked out. And I would ask him about uh, a muscle enzyme test, which should get that pretty much sorted out, Christy. I Thank hope that's so helpful. And, uh, you know, an interesting thing is he was in the neonatal unit um, at birth, right after birth, for a week because of an unexplained um, enzyme issue. Uh huh. It's we've never really been able to have it explained, but um, we almost lost him due to an enzyme mm-hmm. um, uh, not processing or not or deficiency or what have you. Well, so if they I fi- make a, a point to get this appointment made straight away. Great, and if if there is anything, we're very fortunate in that the <clears throat> pediatric neurology group at UMC has a muscle uh, specialist. For children, hey. so there you go. Uh, if uh, if they need any help, so but I would start with a general pediatrician because I think that's always your best entryway uh, into getting things sorted out. So thank you so much for your call. And if you want to know more about that sort of thing, just give us uh, drop us an email at southernremedy@mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics. It's all things considered. On Southern Remedy today, anything that you want to talk about, I'm game. And uh, it's just me here. We don't have a special theme. So this is your opportunity to get your questions answered as best as I can do it uh, for you. And if I don't have the right answer, I'll try to get it. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring 
one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. We have two lines uh, open right now, so it's a good time to call. Let's go to Taylorsville and talk to John. Hey, John. Hello. Uh, I'm uh, asking something about, uh, I don't really know the difference between flu, cold, and bronchitis, but I seem to have had quite a lot of uh, problems beginning the first of the year through January. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some reason, uh, I was hoarse like you for quite a lot of time, almost lost my voice. Uh, my question is, me, I, this seems to be two schools of thought. Uh, go to the doctor and get uh, antibiotics, and this is supposed to help, and others say, no, just over-the-counter stuff is, is, is best, and, and you'll just wear it out. I have worn it out. I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Okay, well, thank you. That I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about that because it is an everyday <clears throat> a question, and uh, doctors like me that see people when they're sick or sick a lot themselves, so we have a lot of experience in, in trying to get through these uh, viral illnesses. There are certain things about the flu that distinguish it from uh, other upper respiratory symptoms. The flu is a total body infection with a virus, and that virus gets in the respiratory tract, in the muscles, uh, in just about every organ system that you have and can actually also affect the brain. So people tend to be um, have multiple symptoms. The flu is most common in February every year. That's when the big spike is. All There's some around all the time. It usually starts with two or three days of what sounds like the cold, a cold, although sometimes it can come on almost uh, by the clock in a period, and you can name the time that it came on if you have a shaking chill at the beginning of it. But more often than not, it starts with what you think is a cold and then spirals down to generalized muscle ache, profound fatigue, headache, sore throat, cough, and a lot of muscle discomfort. And that, that phase of it can last for up to two weeks and is pretty miserable. Uh, it does not respond, that particular illness does not respond to antibiotics. It responds somewhat to antivirals. So if you, even if you've had the flu shot, like I did, and you still get the flu, um, if you uh, know that you got the flu and can get on drugs like Tamiflu, which are antiviral drugs, that shortens the course and severity of the flu that you have. So um, if, especially if you're a senior or you have pre-existing risk factors for uh, lung problems, like you're a smoker or you have asthma or other problems, we put all those folks on Tamiflu. The problem is that the flu test, the quick flu test that you get in the doctor's office is not very accurate. It misses uh, flu infection about 40% of the time. So we we don't if it's positive it's helpful if the if folks have the uh, symptom complex that we're seeing in others with the flu then we usually go ahead and assume <clears throat> that it is the flu and give the um, the antiviral now let me talk to you about the other part 
a small percentage of people that get the flu somewhere around 10 days into the flu when they seem to be getting better will get a second episode in which they start coughing up nasty sputum, uh, coughing up uh, uh, green, yellow, sometimes bloody sputum. And that is a real bad thing to happen because it means that you may be getting a bacterial pneumonia on top of the flu, and that requires immediate treatment with an antibiotic. And we are seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of people this year with the flu who are having a second uh, wave of this about 10 to 12 days into it and then getting a flu pneumonia. We go ahead and treat that with antibiotics and, um, and watch those people very carefully. Uh, I wish there was a magic potion uh, for the flu. The, uh, the thing that helps me more than anything else is chicken soup. <laughs> and actually, there was a study done a number of years ago comparing chicken soup to other treatments. It was about as good as anything else. It's a mucolytic. It helps get that goop out. So I hope that's helpful. And we've got uh, Larry in Hattiesburg. We'll go to Larry. He also has a flu question, and we'll give you a follow-up on that. And thank you for your call. You're listening to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick. We have open lines. It's whatever you want to talk about today. Uh, just give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 I'm alone and lonely waiting for your call. Hey, Larry, what's happening in Hattiesburg? Hello, Dr. Rick. Uh, I was just listening to your show for a minute, and you said something about the flu, and I thought of uh, um, hydration is, is good, of uh, good water, good potable water. I mean, water is fit to drink, and you can use good water, I mean, drinking water in soup or something like that. But I was thinking, uh, along with hydration, people can try, if they'd like, uh, to heat up get some good water that's that's drinkable and heat it up not very hot but just hot enough to where you, you get the body heat from it like you would with a uh a coffee or mm-hmm. a hot tea mm-hmm. so you're getting the hydration and also you're getting the body heat okay that's a very good suggestion let me talk a little bit about what you're saying uh <clears throat> when you get any kind of febrile illness an illness with a fever uh, you uh, sweat uh, a lot more than you do otherwise, and it is possible to get dehydrated if you don't supplement uh, your fluid intake. And most people who have the flu are sleeping six to eight hours during the day. They're so fatigued, and they don't drink adequate amounts of fluid. So your point is very well taken. My recommendation for... Uh, making decisions about how much fluid you take because we have some people who overdose with fluids and it goofs up their uh, uh, sodium in their blood and they have side effects from that. But if you'll keep an eye on the color of your urine when it's uh, dark, yellow, uh, that means your kidneys are concentrating your urine to preserve fluids because your fluid... Uh, the fluid content in your uh, system is low. So during a, an acute illness, we try to keep uh, dr- uh, folks drink enough water uh, to have a relatively dilute urine, which is one with just a little tinge of yellow in it or clear, 
and that can be a guide to how much fluid you can take. Uh, the flu, the biggest problem with the flu is it causes a uh, denuding of the airway. Basically, it kills off the lining, the epithelial lining in the respiratory tract. And that, when that happens, it sheds and all of the irritant neurological receptors in the airway are exposed. So uh, just breathing will make you cough. Going from cold to hot, hot to cold will make you cough. Walking around will make you cough. And the cough can be really disabling. And uh, so what we recommend is hydration, like you say. Uh, If you have a lot of cough that you can't control, then there are some good over-the-counter mucolytics uh, combinations with anti-cough medicine. And these are drugs like Robitussin. Uh, Dextromorphan, D-E-X-T-R-O-M-O-R-O-P-H-A-N, is the active anti-cough syrup uh, in Delsum, D-E-L-S-E-M. That is just plain dextromorphanan. There are other combination ingredients, uh, uh, ingredients in some of these cough syrups that also have a mucolytic in there uh, that's a combination like Robitussin, uh, which uh, it, it can also be used. I actually prefer using the uh, dextromorphanan independent of a mucolytic. Uh, a lot of people like a Mucinex DM, that's a combo, and uh, that can be very helpful. But the bottom line is, uh, if you catch it early enough, uh, within, within, the first two, within the first two days, uh, Tamiflu is worth it on this one, especially if you have risk factors and uh, lots of rest, uh, fluids, and then symptomatic relief with Tylenol uh, and cough syrup. So that's the general approach. And thank you for your call, Larry. And we're going to go to Fairhope and go to your house. If you give us a call, we're at one mpb ring That's one 877 It's all things considered uh, on Southern Remedy, and we would love to take your question. Just to give us a call. We'll be back in just a second. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Wisconsin used to be reliably Democratic in presidential elections, part of the Blue Wall. Then came 2016. We didn't break it. We shattered that sucker. Thanks in part to a new voter, the Trump Democrat. You didn't make me up. No. We exist. We're out there. You just got to dig a little deeper, probably. Wisconsin's Shifting Voters. That's this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. 
To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. For Moments in Black History, we highlight Mamie Teal, the mother of Emmett Teal, who was murdered in Mississippi on August 28, 1955, at the age of 14, for being accused of inappropriate behavior with a white woman. With courage and strength, Mamie Teal insisted that her son have an open casket funeral. The pictures of Emmett Teal's badly beaten body helped spark the civil rights movement throughout the country. We salute Mamie Teal for her courage. This has been MPB's Moments in Black History. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, we're back and you're listening to a live version of Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick, recovering from the flu here, so forgive my gravelly voice, but I feel fine. And we're taking all questions on all topics today, and we hope we can help you deal with some of the medical issues uh, of concern to you. Just give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring I mentioned earlier in the program that uh, thumb-sucking, uh, was associated with a decreased risk for allergies. Also, living on with farm animals is uh, associated with a de- decreased uh, instance of asthma and allergies. There's a very large study that just came out looking at uh, folks, the a- Amish and the Hutterites, uh, uh, and looking at uh, who got uh, allergies and asthma and not, and the folks that had the most exposure to cows and other farm a- uh, animals were, that is, the dirtiest environment, were the ones that had the lower uh, prevalence uh, of allergies and asthma. So we're learning a lot about that, and I suspect probably uh, eating dirt uh, is not as bad as it as we were always told it was because kids that are, are exposed to a lot of environmental uh, things early in life tend not to have as many allergies as others, but we'll... The story's not all in. Let's go to Fairhope and Mary. Hey, Mary. Hi there. Thanks for your call. Consolation call for you. All right. I went to my gynecologist for routine stuff, and he said, have you had a flu shot? Mm -hmm. And I said, no. And he said, well, I had a flu shot, but I didn't know I was supposed to get the stronger one. He, believe it or not, is even older than I am, and I'm older than dirt. (laughs) Anyhow, he had the flu, and it went into pneumonia. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. And they wanted to put him in the hospital. He said, they told me I have a bed for you, and I said, I got a bed at home. Yeah. (laughs) He also has a wife who is a nurse, which helped. Yeah. But anyhow, apparently, there's two kinds of this thing, and you get the the stronger one if you're compromised in some way, like through old age. Yeah, there is a double-strength um a senior version of the flu shot. The Which pro- I got at the, at the local um, grocery store right. pharmacy. You can, no you can request it. <clears throat> the the uh, Theoretically, it would be more effective than the single one, uh, which is about half the dose. The problem is it hasn't been shown to be any more effective than the regular dose. I got the uh, senior one myself just because I... I knew I was going to be exposed multiple times and still got the flu, too. So 
um, it, it's certainly worth thinking about. The only downside to it is there there are a few more local reactions, lumps and bumps, than with the weaker one. But it's certainly worth. Uh, uh, thinking about, we just have a, an awful flu season this year. We have huge numbers of kids out in, in school, and the carriers of the flu are young children. Th- those are the ones that you don't even know they've got it, but they they carry it. So more often than not, it's your grandkids and the kids in daycare and so forth that are um, disseminating this, and that's why we try to get as, them as immunized as possible. But the flu vaccine is not very good this year, and we're just seeing a, a terrible epidemic of folks getting sick. So I'm glad you're taking care of your doctor. Doctors are terrible patients, as you know, uh, and uh, I'm glad that you made the right choice, and thank you so much for your call. You're listening to Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. We have open lines. And we would love to take your call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Mobile and David. Hey, David. David, you're on the air. Okay, thank you. Uh, need to, if I may, uh, ask a few questions about elevated pulse rate. Okay. I uh, have a daughter, forty three. She is a first grade teacher. Uh, in uh, a lower-income uh, area, so she has a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, discipline problems constantly uh, at work. Now, uh, her pulse rate historically has been elevated. Uh, she'll have times during the day when it will, you know, go up, uh, you know, 130, 140. Uh, and so... I would like a little input as to uh, the risk associated with. Uh, she has a medical appointment for a workup mm-hmm. in March. What questions should she ask? And uh, then finally, tied with that, I am getting her. Are you familiar with the Fitbit? Yes. Okay. Uh, and comments as to the value of something like that so she can, uh, you know, keep a record throughout the course of, you know, a period of time as to when and circumstances uh, the, uh, you know, pulse goes up. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> the pulse uh, it reflects how fast the heart is contracting, and <clears throat> the heart actually has a very complicated electrical circuit in it that uh, normally when you stand up, uh, your blood goes to your legs, and your blood pressure drops, and that speeds your heart up. There's a neurological loop there that does that. And uh, you, m- you may notice if you've ever taken your pulse when you stand up, it goes up, and then it goes back to the normal rate. There are normal rates, which are usually less than 100, but there's a wide range of normal. But a persistently elevated pulse rate at rest uh, requires some kind of evaluation. In particular, we we the first thing we think of is hyperthyroidism. The thyroid gland can be overactive and cause this problem. The second most common uh, cause of this is deconditioning. We see rapid pulse rates in people who've been ill or had been bed bound or or not fit. That's certainly not the case with your daughter, who is a teacher and all over the place. 
So um, what I would, what your doctor is going to do is he's going to take a history. <clears throat> he's going to get an electrocardiogram and look for electrical problems there. And he may put her on a treadmill and exercise her and see if her heart rate adequately increases with exercise. And if all of that is normal, then it, her heart rate is normal. Uh, obviously, he'd check her thyroid functions as well. So um, I, I think uh, she's headed in the right direction, uh, but I would make sure that uh, she is pushy enough if she's worried about this to go ahead and uh, get the, the thyroid function test. It's called a TSH uh, and an exercise test on a treadmill uh, to make sure everything is okay. They may want to get an echo, a cardiac echo, to look at her heart as well. But a lot of that has to do with what the history is and what her physical examination shows. And, David, I hope that's helpful. If you want to know more about that, I have some uh, patient handouts that I can send you if you send me an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. And thank you for your call. Let's go to Jimmy in Louisiana. Hey, Jimmy. Jimmy, you're on the air. Hello. How do you do? I'm doing okay for no war, guy. What's your question? Uh, I've got a heart problem. Uh, doctor, had, I had a cardiologist look at my heart, did a scope on it and everything, whatever you call it. And he he put in a computer for my nurse practitioner that uh, the lower part of my heart, uh, all the little veins in it were squiggly. Uh, she didn't understand what that meant, and there's not to do with that, but they put me on some uh, blood pressure pills and some mononitrates and said, see you later. Uh, the nurse practitioner said she believed it was damaged due to, uh, I'm disabled. I got degenerative disc and joint disease. Uh-huh. And uh, they put me on uh, Biox for a while, then it quit working, then put me on Celebrex, what Darvis said. And she said she believed the combination of medicines uh, damaged my heart, but no proof. But she said that's as far as enough. They've taken me off my Celebrex, and now I just take uh, naproxen and muscle relaxers. Okay, so who, who did you see a cardiologist that did the original evaluation? Yes, sir, and uh, at the VA in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh-huh. <clears throat> well, well, there's a problem there because the, the information uh, was not communicated to either you or your nurse practitioner exactly what was going on there. Um, the usual uh, approach, uh, uh, quote, a damaged heart doesn't really mean anything uh, so far as being informative as to what you need to be doing to take care of your heart. So uh, I think, uh, obviously, uh, the best place to get this straight would be to make another appointment with your a cardiologist at the VA, take a family member in with you uh, where you'll have two sets of ears, and ask him or her specifically what damage has occurred? Is there evidence of a previous heart attack? Uh, is there a problem with the valves of your heart? Is your ejection fraction, the way the heart empties, abnormal? And what is the most likely cause of this? Now, obviously, you have high blood pressure, and people who have had 
untreated blood pressure for many, many years, uh, they get uh, get just about all of them will get a quote damaged heart. And what what that is is an enlarged heart, and uh, that may be what they're talking about as well. The treatment for people who have uh, hypertensive cardiomyopathy, which is a fancy name for uh, heart disease associated with high blood pressure, is first and foremost, foremost to keep your blood pressure normal and to make sure that your cholesterol uh, is uh, uh, normalized, that your good and bad cholesterol are appropriate levels, and that you're on a rehab program, some kind of exercise program. The heart is a muscle. It can be strengthened by exercise. And, uh, and I'm not talking about lifting weights. I'm talking about simple things like uh, walking. And there are cardiac rehab programs in most major hospitals with trained individuals to help you get that straight. So, Jimmy, you have uh, insufficient information for me to give you any real good guidelines. I think you need to go back, and I think it's important enough to find actually what's going on now, another option would be to ask your nurse practitioner to call that doctor at the VA and get the information. Just saying, I can't figure it out is probably not adequate. You need somebody to advocate for you to get that information. So uh, number one would be go back, take somebody with you. Number two would get her to try to get the information, but you really need that to know what to do next. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it and wish you well. You're listening to Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Rick with uh, recovering from the flu bug, so I'm a little hoarse, but I'm feeling well and happy to take your call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Let's go to Laura in Ellisville. Hey, Laura. Laura, you're on the air. Good morning. I, I bet you got some home remedies. Well, I do. Um, so... In the years past, we've always gotten a flu shot, and if by chance somebody, I have a very large family, so if somebody comes down with a flu, we immediately start watching for symptoms and go get the Tamiflu as soon as we can. Right. This year, uh, we missed it. We missed the signs and symptoms. My son and I both came down with a flu and didn't get the Tamiflu in time, so I resorted to my deceased grandmother's uh, remedies I made a chicken soup out of a whole chicken using all the bones but I added turmeric lots of garlic lots of oregano salt and pepper um, and and uh, then my son and I both took the dextromethorphan but of course he's 11 mm-hmm. we have a limited uh, number of hours that that you know between when he can take it right. so we, we supplemented with raw honey and um, lemon as a supplemental cough syrup. Mm -hmm. Uh, And finally, I made what she called an Irish toddy. When the fever spiked, Uh, a lot of your patients might not want to do this, but it was a a shot of Jameson whiskey and a cup of hot tea with lemon and honey, Mm. and it helped to break the fever. And we both felt better within about four days, which is only a day longer than it takes to feel better with the Tamiflu. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is the combination of ingredients that I used in the soup in conjunction with the -the over-the-counter medications as effective? That that is a question uh, that I cannot give you a scientific answer to other than the chicken soup thing. There was a large clinical trial... 
uh, done several years ago uh, in individuals who had the flu, and uh, chicken soup treatment worked as well as any other symptomatic treatment like uh, cough syrup and and uh, Tylenol and the like. So there's something about chicken soup. I think it probably has to do with it's a strong mucolytic. Obviously, it has a lot of protein in it. So far as turmeric is concerned, turmeric is the herb du jour. Uh, it is being used. People are now taking it uh, for just about everything. And the the active ingredients is in it is something like cocumarin or something like that that nobody really knows that much about. But it sure does taste good. And uh, so I think all those spices that you put in there are certainly uh, fine, and uh, there's no reason that there sh- should be anything harmful in them. But I think the trick is the chicken soup. Now, the <clears throat> the toddy, hotty toddy, and this is uh, Mississippi, so I have to be careful about saying anything negative about toddies. Um but uh, the the uh, the toddy is a traditional uh, flu treatment. The problem is is that alcohol inhibits the cilial movement it, that cleans mucus out. So I'm not a big fan of alcohol uh, for uh, flu, but uh, a lot of people use it and episodically, not a lot of it. Uh, I'm always concerned that it may predispose to flu pneumonia, but I realize some people use it sparingly and it works great. So I think you're doing uh, some good things there, and uh, I'm glad you got your Tamiflu, which is the most important thing, and uh, and send us some soup. Boy, that's how you might, you're a heck of a cook. That sounds like a wonderful soup. So thank you for your call very much, Laura. We appreciate it. Let's go to Holly Springs and talk to Maxine. Hey, Maxine. Hey, Maxine. Oh, hey. Good morning. How how you doing? We're we're doing good. It's good to hear from you. How are things in Holly Springs? Well, so far so good. Good. That's good. What's on your mind? Well, I was listening to your broadcast one afternoon, and um, they, they was talking about the kidneys. Yes, ma'am. And um, it would, they mentioned something about uh, your urine being uh, foamy, foamy-like. I didn't quite get the rest of it because I started fading out. But what, what does that indicate when you have a foamy urine from time to time? Okay. So <clears throat> the uh, urine, uh, depending on how fast the urine is passed through the urethra, uh, like when you have to go to the bathroom really bad, it squirts out really hard, it will almost always foam, uh, and that's normal. What they're talking about is people who have protein, they're losing protein in their urine. It's just like whipping up uh, an egg. You know that if you take the egg white and you whip it up to make a lemon ice box pie, it foams. Uh, what happens there is you denature the protein in the egg and it makes a fluff. So some people are leaking protein in their urine, like people who have diabetic kidney disease, will have an abnormal amount of foaming in the urine. Uh, It's not a very good uh, test. 
we when you get a urinalysis, we do a dipstick and look for protein, which is a much more accurate way to look for that. But uh, it can show up that way, but 99% of the time, a little foam in your urine doesn't mean anything. How's that? Oh, this sounds great. This sounds great. Okay. I was curious about it because I didn't, I didn't get a chance to get the full understanding as to what was being said about it, but I got a better understanding now. All right. Thank well, we appreciate, so much, your, we appreciate your call. Be safe, and thank, thanks for calling. You're listening to Dr. Rick on Southern Remedy. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's all things considered. I'm having lots of fun talking to folks all over the place, and we we have one open line. We'd love to take your call. Let's go to Candy in New Albany. Hey, Candy. Hello. Hey, you're Hi. on the air. Good to talk to you. Thank you. I just have one question, and then I kind of listen to you. All right. Uh. How common or uncommon is it for a woman in her 60s to be still having a menstrual cycle? You mean never stopped or it started again? Really never stopped. Hmm. Okay. It's not very... And, and before I I tell you, I'll, I'll be honest with you, tell you, I am not a good doctor person. Uh-huh. Well, I and, bet you're a good person, though. <laughs> I bet you're a really good you know, person. As, as far as going to the doctor and, and yeah. checkups and stuff, you, you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember when your mother stopped having her periods? Do, I don't. Uh-huh. I really don't. Okay. All right. So let me let me speak to that. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it's very unusual for people to continue to menstruate into their 60s, but it does happen. Those are the women that have the uh, uh, surprise pregnancies uh, late in life. <laughs> and that is the biggest thing that we, we're concerned about uh, with people who have ongoing menstrual cycles. Usually people in their late, and, and it's pretty much the same as your mom and your sisters, uh, it usually pretty much tracks their menstrual history. They, you start skipping per, uh, periods, and they get more and more erratic, and then they eventually stop. And that usually occurs in most people in the 50s. And uh, so there are some people who continue to menstruate. We are very, very concerned in people uh, uh, who have their uteruses that continue to spot uh, uh, in later life because of the possibility of an underlying uterine cancer. So uh, since you have been a bad girl and have not been to the OBGYN or your family medicine doctor lately, it is time for you to go have a, 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 a female examination with a pap smear just to make sure that uh, you don't have a, uh, a, a cancer up there that could be gotten out of the way very quickly uh, before it gets any further. So I think I think because it's unusual uh, to menstruate that long, you probably ought to have that checked out. Uh, and uh, I, I would do that sooner rather than later. And I know it's a pain to have that done, but it would be worth it, okay? But, uh the the last time that I did go and and have a check, he had said that I hadn't even uh, went through the uh, the change of life. Yeah. Well, okay. how long ago was that? Oh, that 
when he told me that, that was a, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, you know, you're also supposed to be having mammograms. Are you getting those done? No. Okay. No, well, it's time for a, a trip back to the doctor. You don't want breast cancer. Breast cancer is an occupational hazard of being a woman. Uh, any woman who has breast has a significant risk for getting that, and that's what those mammograms are for. And uh, uterine cancer uh, in Mississippi is a real problem. So I think you ought to tune tune up your doctor visits a little bit more right now because of your age, and I think it'll be rewarding. So thank you, Candy, for your call. Let's go to Mobile and Brian. Hey, Br- Brian. Yes. Thanks for your call. What's happening? Oh, not a whole lot. I've just been through a whole bunch of uh, medications and stuff from an infection I had last year, and I'm having some issues, and I'm wondering if you can give me a little bit of more information than I already have. Okay. I, I suffered some kidney damage, which caused my blood pressure to go through the roof. Uh-huh. And liver damage, and I had a, a intestinal shutdown where my digestive system completely shut down. My immune system shut down, and I'm finding out that was caused by antibiotics that I had been put on for too long. And I didn't know antibiotics could not only kill an infection, but it could also kill all of the good stuff in your digestive system. Mm-hmm. I'm on probiotics. And I'm still having some problems with digestion. I gotta live on Xlax once a week just yeah. to get my digestive system to clean out, and so I can continue to eat without getting sick and throwing up. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about antibiotics and complications of antibiotics, since we don't have a lot of time left. <clears throat> antibiotics uh, have a lot of toxicity. The most common reactions are allergic reactions, but some of the antibiotics are directly toxic to the kidneys and can cause kidney problems. All antibiotics change the flora, the normal bacteria in your gut, and can be associated with diarrheal illnesses or infectious illnesses uh, that are selected, uh, germs that are selected out that are not killed by that particular antibiotic and overgrow overgrow in your gut. So uh, you have made a very, very good point for our listeners. It's very, very important uh, to uh, take antibiotics as infrequently as possible. And we're trying to use those less frequently. We used to give antibiotics every time anybody coughed. We don't do that anymore because we've had so many tru- uh, so much trouble. I would suggest that one of the things that you may want to do is to get into a rehab program since you've been ill so long and uh, your insurance will pay for that and uh, just tell your doctor that you would like to see a physical therapist and get instruction uh, in uh, a rehab program which will also help your gut work better so thank you for your call brian you've been listening to southern remedy it's a production of mississippi public broadcasting think radio I'm Dr. Rick, and it's been my pleasure to sit here for the last hour and, uh, and hoarsely uh, talk to you about the various uh, issues you've had. We'll be back same time, same place next week, or you can listen to a replay of the program early Sunday morning about 5 a.m. Uh, what a way to wake up before church. Uh, hope everybody drinks lots of fluid.